Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Jonah, the fourth chapter, and we will pick up the tenth verse of the third chapter. Jonah has been to Nineveh, and Nineveh has repented. And this is what the scripture says. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God repented of the evil which he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and repenteth of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take my life, from me. I beseech thee, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm which attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a sultry east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, and nor did you make it to grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than a hundred and twenty Eight thousand persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle. O our God, help us to understand the ways of the Lord. This is such an interesting character that we have under consideration this morning. And if I could give a free interpretation of what the conversation between God and Jonah really was, would go something like this. God is asking Jonah, Jonah, is that enough for you to get mad about? As if to say, is that a good cause for you to get mad about? And old Jonah speaks up and says, yes, it is, and I'm mad enough to die. He says, I'm mad enough to die. He says, I'm so mad I could die. He asked the Lord twice there to take his life. But I was reading an article not too long ago, and it 
said something about the things that we get mad about. And those people who are smart in the ways of people and our personalities and this type of a thing had an interesting statement to make. And I asked the question in this way. The last thing in your life now, the last five things that you got mad about, can you count them? Probably so insignificant you can't even remember getting mad, but you don't know what it was about. You know, you're like me. You count the five, and those who are skilled in thinking tell us that only one half of one of those had some liquor truth in it over which you should get mad. In fact, I think the article said, if you read it as I did, it says one out of ten things that you really get distressed and upset about have something in it really to do it. But most of us get mad is born of an inner hostility that is deep within us. It's born of a hostility, and then these little things that happen to us trigger them off. Uh, but it's not the thing that really triggers it off that we're really mad about. It's an overlay of things piled up one on the other until at last we don't trip them, and we come to the place and something triggers it off, and then we go off like a rocket. I remember a little girl came one time, and she was a cute little thing. She'd only been married, I think, about six months. And she's married to a great big old boy that was a football player and just a wonderful fellow. But she came one morning at the office. She was just mad. And I mean, Jonah was not half as mad as that little girl was. She was mad. And she came in. She said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Well, she couldn't kill him. That's a big old boy, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill him. So I talked to her a little bit about that. And she said, well, she says, I'm not going to kill him. She says, but I'm going to go home to my mother. And we talked on a while, and I said, well, what did he really do to you? She says, well, this morning before he went to work, we got into it, and he took my teddy bear, my stuffed teddy bear, and pulled the nose off of it and threw it into the pot. <laughs> now, I know you think I make these things up, but now she says, I'm going to get even with him. And she went home, and, and I was just interested to see what she was going to do to this big old boy. Now, he was just a, both of them were fine people, just lovely folk. You know, you couldn't help but love them. And then a few days later, I found out what she did to him. She went home and went into their dining room, new chairs that they had, and they're not metal, they were wood, and she sawed the legs off of his chair <laughs> up to the first room. And then after a while, after, you know, weeks after that, I said, well, what'd you do that for? She says, I didn't want him sitting at the table higher than me. You know? <laughs> well, they got to work that. But what have you gotten mad over lately? I remember another situation. It was about, it must have been sometime in July, and the sun was hot. There's a man belonged to that church that I was privileged to be the pastor of at that time that ran a filling station right down the street from us. And he told me one time, he says, Preacher, says, I know you like to tinker around with your old car. <laughs> I had an old one at that time. He says, Now, you come on over to the station there, and he says, You can pull it over to the side, and if I've got any tools or equipment that you can use, you're most welcome to it. And so I took him up on it. I thought that was a good thing. And one day I was down there, and that old thing wouldn't run and had it shoved in there. And I was over there working on it like you wouldn't believe with a hood up on it. And about 2 o'clock, hot like you wouldn't believe. You know when a car won't run, it gets hot even if it's in January, if you have to work on it. And I would busted my knuckles two or three times trying to work on that old car. And I was down in there, you know, just trying to get that thing straightened out and couldn't. And the temperature went up inside and outside of me. And here came a man down the sidewalk there. I was parked right close to the sidewalk at this film station, and he walked in, and he stuck his head in under that hood, and he said, uh, hey, partner, he says, what's wrong with your car? And I could tell right off that he was drunker than a skunk. Now, it was only 2 o'clock in the day, but he was drunk. Oh, he was drunk. 
I could hardly stand the smell of that gas, much less that alcohol. Both of them mixed together. I was getting sick of my stomach. I said, why don't you go over there and find a shade tree somewhere and lie down and sleep it off? And he said, well, who are you? I said, well, I said, I'm a Methodist preacher. I thought that would stop him, you know. <laughs> he backed up about a, one step and looked at me. He said, there's nothing to get upset about. He says, I'm a Methodist too. <laughs> But you know the truth of it is, dear ones, I wasn't mad at that man. Not really. I wasn't mad at him. I didn't know him to be mad at him. I was mad because of the deep frustration that was coming up in me that I didn't have ability and capability of correcting whatever was wrong with my car without asking my friend to give me some help. And he was a busy man. I'm proud. I didn't want to have to ask for that. What have you gotten mad about lately? Now, you know, it would be all right if we left that stuff all outside the church, wouldn't it? Just left it outside the church. But you know the same people out there, same people in here. And I'm going to tell you another true story that I'll never forget as long as I live. But I was in a church and where they decided they was going to vote the, that part of the county dry. One section of the street that the church was on was in a precinct that was going to vote it dry. So somehow or another, the church got caught up in the middle of that fight to vote that part of, the, of that county drive. And then we had a knockdown, drag-out battle. Somehow or another, the Methodist preacher got right in the middle of it. Don't know how it happened, but I got into it. My neighbor came to me. He was a Roman Catholic, and he was a wonderful fellow. Best Catholic ever lived so, since I met him. But I'd heard heretofore that he had made his fortune, and he was quite wealthy, made it by running alcohol during prohibition. Well, anyway, he came to me, and... He was the nicest fella, and he said, uh, Brother, he said, the boys have told me, now the boys he was talking about is all of his former friends that owned uh, places of where they sold alcohol and other interests in the community. He said, now, if you'll back off of this situation, he said, the boys have told me to offer you $25,000 to shut up. He said, now, I don't want you to be mad at me. He said, I, I'm not questioning your integrity. He said, I just told the boys I'd do it. Well, that made me about half mad right there. I really got into the situation then. And we made it so good that, you know, I would go out on the street. I mean, we had one meeting, and the next Monday morning, one Sunday night, we went out on the street the next day and make them around. And, well, very few of these characters would speak to me. These people who owned places where they sold alcohol and some others, they wouldn't talk to me. They'd pass around the street or look straight ahead, you know. And then about the last of that week, I was out on the street again, and all these characters out there and say, Hey, preacher, come over and have a, have a soft drink with you. Come and have a cup of coffee. And I went home and told my wife, I says, We've lost. <laughs> I said, We've lost. I said, They've figured out we've got, they've got us outvoted. And they did. They did. But in one of those meetings, and I'm told that to tell this, in one of those meetings where I was trying to marshal our forces, and I thought I was doing a right good job because of the lady sitting right out on the front seat, and I mean tell you, she's listening to what I had to say. She's looking straight at me. And all I had to say to her, I knew, is if I just said to her, you take a baseball bat and go out there, I think she'd have jumped up and grabbed a baseball bat and gone out there and just started to work on some of those places, you know. After the meeting was over, I figured I'd said enough and sat down, and she stood around after the meeting. And she came up to me, she said, Preacher, she says, you've got the most disgusting taste about the color of clothes that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> She said, don't you know that tie doesn't go with that suit? 
what in the world do we get mad about inside the church? What is the thing that we ought to get upset about? Well, now, if you think these things are ridiculous, let's understand that you take any comfort or consolation from this fact. You come from a long line of them. It's as old as Jonah himself. What was it that made Jonah be the man that he was? You know, the tragedy of it about Jonah is that we get lost in the fish story. But this man was a human being. He lived. I know he lived because I'm kin to that rascal. He had to live. I think I must be one of his descendants. The only unfortunate thing about it is I have a lot of cousins and uncles and aunts in the situation too. His spirit lives on. When can we come to the place to address ourselves to the fact to help us to understand something of what we need to be upset about and what we need to get on with the business of God about? You know, you get the picture here and you see poor old Jonah sitting on a stool like I am this morning. He's outside the city, you know. And he was too good to even be inside the city. He was outside the city. And look at his action. You look at this man, and here's the man that is completely, totally frustrated. If you want to see someone that is totally frustrated and neutralized in life, look at Jonah. There he sits on that stool with a little old vine growing over him uh, that the Lord had prepared, waiting to see what God was going to do. Here was a great people that had a need, had a need to be told about the love of God. God had a need. Inasmuch as his people had a need, God had a need. The people were lost. God needed a messenger. Now, these people were not ugly. They were not really mean. They were not really indifferent. They did not have anyone interested enough in them and in God to go to them. And I want to tell you, Nineveh has gone through the years. How many people? You know, one of the things that astounded me and the church where I came from, if someone had told me a few years before, there's people who live within three blocks of this church that do not even know, the kids do not even know how to act inside the church. They have never been in a church. I would have said, man, you're wrong. But I want you to know when we got on a job and ran a bus around to pick those kids up and brought them to church, we had to have a junior church to show them how to act in church. They thought they were at a ball game. You know, they'd come in, stay a while, get up and go out and get a soft drink and come back in. How many people around us here that God loves them is all they need is someone to tell them about the love of God. They needed a person and God needed a man. He needed a person. He needed a servant. He needed a Christian. He needed a committed person to go. He needed a man that knew him. Now you listen to this. God needed a man that knew him. Now, Jonah knew it, did he not? Listen to it. Oh, how well Jonah knew God. It's the most beautiful part of Scripture that you'll ever read anywhere. Oh, Jonah makes a confession. He says, I know that thou art a merciful God. I know that you are abounding. I like this one. I know that you're abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Really, the picture here, if in the real translation of the situation, is like the waves coming into the sea. This is God's love, never ceasing, abounding, faithful. As the sun rays hit the earth, you can just count on it. Old Jonah knew God. He knew him. It wasn't the problem that Jonah did not know God. It's not our problem either. You know that? That's not our problem. 
It's not our problem within the church. It's not our problem within our country. We know God. Of course you do, or you would not be here this morning. But let me ask you a question. What is it that lets the Methodist church every year when the count is taken over the last, I think, six to ten years, when the count is taken, we have lost more members to the church and to the kingdom of God than we have won. Is it the people out here in Nineveh? Or is it those of us who know God? And I want to tell you, there's not a writer that I've ever heard write about the church, but what won't agree and what hasn't agreed, it's not my thinking, I get it from them. What do not say, the problem of our society and our church today is to be found within inside the church. People who know God. Oh, I want you to go over to Nineveh. Jonah, well, now let's see about that situation. They're not my kind of people, tell you the truth, Lord. They're not my kind of people. I remember I just mentioned, we started that bus ministry to pick up kids. The parents wouldn't bring them to church, saw no need to bring them to church. And you know there were certain people within the church that could not see the necessity of this and did not agree with it. And they said to me, Preacher, if you insist on doing this, we're going to leave the church. Well, I'll tell you one thing, they kept their word, brother. I had some to leave the church, and I had some to find it very difficult to talk to the preacher after that, to say anything to him. And yet here we were, bringing a whole flock of young lives into the church. But they're not my kind of people. In fact, old Jonah could have said, well, now I've already planned a cruise in the South Pacific. <laughs> I'm uh, going to take a trip. And fact is, I don't have enough money for my trip and yours. Who's going to pay the bill? Who's going to pay the bill? No one's going to give me any money. Who's going to pay for this? Well, he finally found out who's going to pay for it. He didn't have too good accommodations, but the, the Lord saw that he got to where he wanted to go. I don't know how nice it was inside that whale, but it must not have been too bad. He lived. Now, who's going to pay the bill? Can't afford it. And now I'll tell you the truth, Lord. I just don't like those people. I'll tell you the God's honest truth. I don't care whether they go to hell or not. If it's left up to me, they can go. I don't want to be bothered. I remember a man saying to me, and he's still my friend today and still living. He said to me, he says, Preacher, when he joined church, he said, Preacher, I tell you, you can do anything in church you want to do just as long as you don't bother me. Well, how many of us come to the place in our life where that's just about the way we feel? Mad because God asked him to do something that he didn't want to do. You know, that's my problem. You know, that's my problem. Lord, have mercy on us. To do something that I don't want to do. Notice the result of the situation. Look at what happened. Here he is in this miserable situation. The results of it, a half-hearted Christian or half-hearted man of God. Is there a more perfect picture of misery, frustration, bankruptcy, Everything was wrong. He cursed the night because it was cold. And then when the sun came up, he cursed it too. Dear ones, I would ask us a question before we leave from here to go home. How miserable are you? Do you really enjoy living? Do you really appreciate and enjoy your friends, your family? Do you enjoy each day as God gives it to you? Or are you miserable? frustrated, 
unhappy at night and in the day. Now, dear ones, I want to tell you something. Do you know what the problem is? You may think it's a half a dozen different problems, but there's only one problem, really. There was only one problem that Jonah had. Now, I'm talking to the people of God. Dear one, if you're here this morning and you've not made your commitment to Christ, I'm not talking to you this morning. You've got a long ways to go, brother. I'm talking to those people who know God to be merciful. I'm talking to those people who know God to be a loving God. I'm talking to a group of people who know that God will change his mind. That repent. Don't stumble over that word. That doesn't mean God had something to repent over. It means that God changed his mind. He had made up his mind he was going to destroy Nineveh. And then when he saw that they repented to a man, to a person, he had mercy on them. And the charge that old Jonah brought against him was right. He said, I knew you was going to change your mind if they repented. Oh, thank God for such a God. I'm talking to people who know this. Do you know what is wrong with you and with a church if you can't appreciate what God has given to you? It's not money. It's not like a position. It's like a commitment to him. A half-hearted commitment to God. I'll tell you how I can turn it around completely and totally this morning. You can do what the last hymn calls for us to do. Or you can come to a place where you outright commit yourself totally and completely to this God that you know. Your will, Lord, not mine. I am here as a servant. Use me. No matter about the skin or the hide that's going to be lost. No matter how alone I might stand. No matter what the cost might be, you just give to me the courage that I need at the hour to strengthen me to whatever you might call me to. But Lord, I'm your person. I'm your person. Now act. And I'll tell you what that's going to do in closing. My friend is going to set you free from yourself like you wouldn't believe. Yourself is not going to be the center around which you're going to work anymore. You're going to be free from yourself. And every last living one of us needs to be free from self. At least I do. Oh, Lord, I do. Sometimes you may think you're sort of hard on the preacher. Well, you're not half as hard on the preacher as I am myself because I can get away from you. I can't get away from myself. But when I come to the place when I, and I, I want to be God's man or God's person, let it be, Lord. Let it be. I'm free from people. Well, isn't it tragic that we hear the voice of our neighbor louder than we do the call of God. Isn't it tragic when we say everyone's doing it or everyone's not doing it and use that as an excuse? Well, Jonah's not dead as long as we act like that. When I have committed myself totally and completely to God, I am free from people. I am free from fear. The thing that paralyzes us, neutralizes us, and stops us is this type of a situation where we're afraid. We fail because we're afraid. Let's not be afraid to fail. Every failure may look like in this world is not a failure. You remember when the sun went down on the cross? There were those who saw the Lord Jesus Christ. He said it was a Messiah hanging there on the cross. And they said, he's not so overfinished and dying even the disciples. But oh, what a glorious resurrection. My friend, how can you fail when you are in the hand of a living God? How can you? You can't. What the world may call failure may turn out to be your greatest and most wonderful thing that could ever possibly happen to you or you could ever be involved in. 
You don't have to be afraid, and you'll be free from despair. Oh, free from despair. Oh, God's in charge. God's in charge. God is in charge. Fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Is he in charge or isn't he? He is. Then respond to him. Respond to him. Commit yourself totally, completely, and then see what will happen in the very citadel of your soul. Oh, there'll be things happen that I cannot explain to you. The story is told of an old farmer. I read this not too long ago. Out in Kansas somewhere. They had a revival. And the good people within the church wanted to have their friend live down the road there and had a big farm. They wanted to see him in, in the kingdom of God. And so they prevailed on him to come to church. And the night that he came to church, he was saved. He committed himself. He came to the altar. Must have been a Methodist church. Came to the altar and knelt there and committed himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, everyone was happy. A few uh, weeks later, the locusts came through and just destroyed all the wheat. Some of the other farmers said, now he's a young Christian. This is really going to throw him. We'd better go over and talk to him. And so two or three of the men in the church had been Christians for a long while, went over to talk to the man and keep him from getting discouraged and quitting. And when they went in and talked to him, he said, now, fellas, I appreciate you coming. I appreciate you coming and what you're trying to do. He said, well, I want to tell you something. He says, when I walked down the aisle of the church and knelt there at that altar with God's people and kneeling what I felt was in the front of God and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, he says, I want to tell you what I did. He says, I committed my soul. I committed my life. I committed my family all of them to Christ. I committed my son and my daughter and my wife. He says, I committed those wheat fields to the Lord too. And now if it pleases God to feed his grasshoppers in his wheat field, I guess that's his business. I'm committed. The commitment is what we need in order for you to be the person that you need to be and for our church to be the church that God intended for it to be. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of his words, finishing the work he started in making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 